Father, we have gathered here to worship your great name. Thank you for allowing us to do that. God, I pray that as um, we continue to worship through the word, Lord, that you would stretch our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that we would understand scripture even deeper this morning and what you want to teach us. Thank you for being here in our midst, in our presence. We've had an incredible time of worship through, through music. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and then we're going to also be in chapter 2. Uh, here in a little bit. And then also you'll see a QR code coming up here on the screen. Um, this is something new for us. Uh, the Bible's coming down the aisles. If you want a Bible, slip a hand up. But the QR code, if you use an electronic version, you can, you can just scan that. You know how to do that. Or it's in your bulletin. And that takes you right to you version, which is where all the notes, everything is there for you. So however uh, you get to the Word of God, we encourage uh, everyone to be in the Word of God. What a great weekend. Would you agree? Beautiful weather, right? Yeah. The bison squeaked one out yesterday. That was, a, that was a close one. Bears, 49ers today. What time do the Vikings play? 345, 325? I'll be done by then, I think. It'll, it'll be close. Um, but what a great day to worship together. Amen? Yeah. You could clap for that, nothing else but for that, yeah. We're glad that you're here this morning. Um, Traditions is meeting and, and Kindred is meeting and those who are joining us online. Today I wanna talk about um, Created to Connect. It's, it's just a one week, uh, can't call it a series, just a standalone message for today. It's good to be together. Created to connect with God, point number one. And then there's two subpoints. The first one is created in the image of God. And it's found in verse 26 of chapter one in Genesis. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The most repeated phrase in Genesis chapter one is God saw that it was good. And it points to this a generous God who meticulously creates this stunning world where his creation can live and connect. Not a place where his creation can just live, not a place where his creation can just exist, but a place where his creation can live and connect. On day six, at the pinnacle of his creation, the, the structured literary rhythm changes. There's this pivot here, and it directing the reader's attention to something that is, that is significant. He introduces the most prized creation, mankind. In the creation story found in Genesis 1, we see hints of God's intention of humanity to connect with one another. And we learn we were created in God's image. We exist, in other words, to, to image God, to reflect God. And some people ask, well, what does that mean to be created in God's image? Well, there's several ways that we are uh, created in God's image. One is that we're spiritual and that we're moral. We can reason and we're relational beings. 
Verse 26, the second part says, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God did not have in mind this puppet relationship with us. He had in mind a a connected relationship, an intentional relationship with us. And we see later in Genesis how God dwells in the garden and it says that he he walked in the garden and he was in their midst. And you might remember a few weeks ago, um, you said, well, does God actually do that? That's anthropomorphism. It's this idea that that God has human-like characteristics to describe him in their presence in the garden. But he had relationship, deep intended relationships with his creation. Verse 26 not only gives us emphasis on us connecting with God, but it gives indication of the Trinity and it reveals for us this this model of, of connection from the very beginning. And the Trinity shows us that when there was only God, he was not alone. Get your mind around that for a second. When there was only God, he was not alone. Not three gods, but one God. He is one God connected in a way that cannot be separated, but still distinct. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's what we call the Trinity. Because the scripture says, let us make mankind. And the Trinity, while it's fun for us to discuss sometimes and even debate uh, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can miss a major revelation through the Trinity because the Trinity reveals to us a picture of life, of, of community, of relationship. God has always existed in a connected community because God is community. Everything about God points to connection. Relationship and community are rooted in God, both of which existed before one human came to be. Because God is the creator of all things relational. Several years ago, Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. Maybe maybe you're familiar with it. It talks about how people are created uniquely and connect with God in different ways. At first, I was skeptical when the book came out because I had to filter it through my upbringing and then also my, my leanings, so to speak. But then over time, as I, as I evaluated the patterns of my own life and as I watched and listened to other people, I became more and more intrigued. It's not to suggest that God ever changes. I need you to hear that up front. He's consistently the same. But in the same way that I as a father might connect to my children differently, the question gets raised, is it possible that God connects to his children differently? And so there there is a baseline for all of us as believers, and the baseline is that um, we are all to be in scripture, we should all uh, learn the depth of prayer and what it means to worship God. Those are assumed, those are foundational. So his book isn't to take away from any of that. But it's really interesting. In fact, this last week reinforced what I'm gonna share with you. There's nine um, sacred pathways, so to speak, in which ways people connect more with God than others. And the first one is called the naturalist, draw near to God through nature. And I kid you not, this past week, someone said to me that they connect, not even knowing any of this, but they connect with God when they're out in nature more than any other way. Um, Sensate, draw near to God through the senses. Uh, when I was in Iowa, we had a week off and we went to this church that was kind of a seeker church is what they called it. And, 
and uh, there was a gentleman preaching on the bread of life, Jesus the bread of life. Well, under the bleachers they had this, this um, bread machine and they were actually baking bread and so the aroma was going through the auditorium as he was preaching. And so that, uh, to me it took a little bit too far but it's this, they were playing on the senses of that. Traditionalist is another one, draw near to God through ritual and symbol. Activists, draw near to God through confronting what is wrong. Ascetic, draw near to God through solitude or simplicity. Caregiver, draw near to God through caring for and serving others. Enthusiast, draw near to God through celebration and mystery. Contemplative, draw near to God through personal adoration and heartfelt devotion. And the last one, intellectual, draw near to God through the mind. And so his point was that there are nine sacred pathways, as he did his research, in which people feel most connected to God. And maybe that was helpful for some of you. Because I've heard so many people say, I I don't know how to connect to God. In fact, I don't even know that I've ever connected to God. So maybe ponder some of those. Created in the image of God. And then the second subpoint is created to need God. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 it says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I've said this before. Let me say it again. Eternity is not a place. Though we regularly associate it with a place, eternity is a period of time that is defined by forever. So eternity is forever past and it's forever future. So when we think of eternity as a place, rather than it being time, we force this disconnect between the life that we have here on earth and eventually our eternal home. We were created to last forever. We were created to last forever in God's presence. So Solomon writes here, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. And when you were created by God, you entered into eternity, this undefined period of time, meaning from the moment God created you, at that very moment, you started a life of forever. In the coming weeks, starting next week, I'm gonna be doing a series called Heaven. And I've been waiting to do this series. Um, And we're gonna explore what heaven might be like. Now, I've never been to heaven, you've never been to heaven, but there are hints in scripture that I'm gonna be drawn from to maybe help us understand a little bit more about what heaven might be like. I'm also gonna use a resource. It's a book called Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn. Maybe you've read it, maybe you've never heard of it. Starting next week, we're gonna have several of those copies at the info desk if you wanna pick one of those up. Uh, and read along, it's, it's very intriguing. But we are eternal and God's full attention is for us to connect in a relationship with him now and forever. We were created to need God. We were not created to be self-sufficient or alone. We were created to be fully reliant on God. The Bible is a book of connections, if you read it all the way through. It's clear that we were created to connect with God, and now as we'll see in just a minute, we were also created to connect with others. But before we go there, are you connecting with God? 
Are you taking the time to connect with your creator? The God who longs to connect with you. Secondly, created to connect with others. Verse 27, and then we're gonna jump into chapter two. But let me uh, read verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then verse 27. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. One of the articles I came across in preparing for this morning um, was entitled Connected by Carissa Quinn. And this is what she writes. And yet we live in a time and a place where there is still tension between our true identity as connected beings and the reality of disconnection, pain, and suffering. It's a time when trust may not be natural and relationships are not always safe. And the biblical story reminds us that connection is what we were made for. The biblical story offers hope that despite the inevitable pain of disconnection, living into our true identity as connected beings brings wholeness. In verse 27, what we begin to see is diversity within the community. So humanity, as evidenced here in verse 27, is male and female, demonstrates the design for connection. In this one verse, there are three parallels that take place. And the first two point to this reputation that God created humanity in his own image, and he reinforces that again. But the last line then defines what that means. He created distinct, diverse individuals who are unified as one, humanity. Although they are different and distinct, they are connected to one another. In chapter two, we see a continued emphasis on this idea of connection. God highlights connection by speaking to aloneness. He said it's not good. And the solution is relationship. So in chapter two, beginning in verse 18, this is what he writes. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Though these verses reveal to us a biblical answer to God's order. These verses reveal to us a biblical answer to sexual diversity, male and female. And they reveal to us a relationship between a man and a woman. There are also other takeaways for all relationships that are there. Verse 25, as it goes on, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
This one verse teaches us about relational safety, vulnerability, trust, and acceptance. But here's the deal. Even though the scripture clearly teaches us that we were created as relational beings, and even though it's clear that we were created to connect, because of Genesis 3, if you keep reading the Genesis account, we often choose to believe the lie instead of the truth. You see, you can see in Genesis 3 that Satan comes along, he comes into the picture, and he offers a different way. A way that is opposite of God's original plan. Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and instantly um, they choose autonomy from God, as though to say, believe in, they could decide what is good, they could decide what is evil, they don't need God, they could do that on their own. That's what they choose. And their trust in God was broke. It was lost. Which is depicted by their covering up of their nakedness. But not only their trust in God, but their trust in each other was damaged. And from there, the fabric of God's perfect creation begins to unravel. They no longer felt safe, and they no longer felt vulnerable. And their disconnection led to greater disconnection, if you kept reading, and to violence and to death. But even during man's selfishness and believing the lies of the enemy, God promises to work in and through the brokenness and to restore connection with him and with one another. Through the cross, he establishes a path forward even though it was broke. And the decision we must make is will we continue to believe the lies of the evil one who says, you don't need to connect with God and you don't need to connect with others? Or will we trust God's original plan enough to take a step forward, realizing we do need God and we do need to eat each other? There's a quote about friendships that says, we are pilgrims on a journey, many without friends. While connecting with God is, is first and foremost, we were also created to connect with each other. The number of people who have convinced themselves that connection with others is overrated is staggering. What are some of the things that are attributing to this growing, disconnected people? Well, there's the agony of reaching out. There's the risk of reaching out. For some, the thought of connecting with others is absolutely exhausting. Maybe the priority of connection was never modeled for you growing up. Maybe you're an introvert and you just say, I'd rather sit at home and read a book or um, binge watch Netflix Maybe you're an ambivert, which is this combination of introvert and extrovert, and you're okay to connect with people, but it has to be in doses. And then there's the electronic era, right? Our phones have opened the door for us to engage in a people-less world. We engage in an electronic version of other people. 
We have our finger uh, tips and escape anytime, anywhere. We escape into the, the entertainment of TikTok. We escape into the absence of physicality with Facebook and, and Instagram. We escape into the mind-numbing world of games. We escape into the secret world of fleshly pleasure. And then there's the after effects of, of COVID. And in many ways, we were taught to disconnect and forced to disconnect. And then there's believe in the lies of the enemy that I don't need to connect with other people. I'm okay on my own. Or, or the thought of connecting with others has gradually become less of a priority in my life. It requires too much effort. There has been so much research that has been done on human connection, obviously prompted by the effects of people choosing to not connect and isolate. I don't know the name of it, but you can find this on YouTube. There's a fascinating TED Talk that was done, um, one of the most popular ones, that opens the door for how addiction recovery, so those who are addicted, addiction recovery and healing is so much more effective when it's done in community where we feel safe, loved, and cared about. And it points to the truth of God's original design and our, and our desperate need for connection with one another. Many of us can relate to the scripture. Many of us can read the scripture. We know the scripture. We know the research, right? But the application is what is so hard. I've heard so many people in this church, I've heard so many stories of people in this church who are disconnected. We're gonna talk more about that in a minute. But can I encourage you as an individual, as a family, to take a step on your own, to make the effort. Uh, experts tell us you can connect to two to five people at a deep level. That's about the most. And they're like, ah, no, I connect to about 20 people. No, you really don't. Two to five people, they say, is max at a deep level. But what if you had, what if you had at least one person that you, that you let into your world, a place where you could share it all and, and, and vice versa? Now let's continue on. Created to connect with the body. Several years ago, there was a Newsweek magazine cover and it, it went like this, forget the church, follow Jesus. And the writer, Andrew Sullivan, says, Christianity has been destroyed by politics, priests, and get-rich evangelists. Ignore them. Embrace Jesus. Forget the church. There are some people who really resonate with that idea of forget the church, just give me Jesus. There are many reasons people have mentioned they have been hurt in church by something that somebody did or said. They, maybe they felt judged or condemned. They don't feel accepted. They're tired of people in the church acting like non-Christians. They have convinced themselves that they don't need the church for anything. They're too busy for church. They believe the church is irrelevant. They don't get what they want. They don't see the value or the purpose. But the idea of just give me Jesus, forget the church, it may sound good. And many people want to attempt to align themselves with this kind of thinking, but there is one core central problem, and that is it is not biblical. 
All Christians collectively make up the church. So if you're, if you're a follower of Christ and you've surrendered your life to Christ and, and, and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you're part of what we call the big C church, a universal church, right? You're a believer. You're, you're part of the community of believers all around the world. But there are many expressions of the big C church and Bethel Church is a local body of believers. We are one panel, one little itty bitty panel on a much larger quilt that God is making. It's made up of followers of Christ. All throughout the New Testament, we see example after example of believers connecting through this, this shared community, this shared commitment to follow Christ. It's what we have in common. And even though coming to Christ is a, is a personal and an individual decision, like you can't, you can't do that as a group. Hey, let's all together, let's all come. No, it's an individual decision. You do that on your own. Through God drawing you and the Holy Spirit but growing as a believer and living out our faith as a believer was never intended to be an isolated and disconnected from a gathered body of believers. That was never the plan. Following Christ is done in community. The letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, they weren't written to individuals, they're written to churches where, where believers could learn how to live out their faith in community. If someone were to ask me, uh, why is gathering of God's people so important. There's a couple of quick thoughts that come to my mind. One is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The gathering of God's people, church, is where we spur one another on to live out our faith. Last week, Pastor Jonas talked about the church. And how in the New Testament, the Sabbath wasn't the conclusion of the week. It wasn't like, oh, we worked all week and now we come to the Sabbath. Now, now let's just like, whew. no, it, it became in the New Testament after the cross, it became this, this celebration time of launching us together into the next week. It's this encouragement, this celebration. And for the sake of argument, when I use the phrase, the gathering of God's people, I'm, I'm using it to speak specifically about the corporate worship service. Outside of the weekly gathering of God's people, we, we all, so we're all same, we're, we're all on the same playing field with this. Outside of the, the corporate gathering of worship, we all have pressure points and grieving and heartache and sadness and stress and discouragement and challenges. But the gathering of God's people doesn't erase all those things. You don't walk in here and go, poof, all those things are gone. They don't just disappear. The gathering of God's people doesn't erase all those things, but what it does offer is a time when we collectively focus all of our attention on the truth and the promises together of God's word. It is a time we redirect our eyes away from the trials and the troubles that we have tomorrow. And we fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith together. It's a time we meet keeping in context with Hebrews 10 to worship the great I am. We worship our great God through the singing of praise songs, through the, the teaching of God's word, through our giving of our tithes and offerings and the fellowship of believers. Why is the gathering of God's people so unique? In the Old Testament, um, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a certain task, for a certain season of time. 
But since the cross, anyone who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, so if you're here and you're like, I surrendered my life to Christ, I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and through the blood of Christ I've been forgiven, I'm a child of his. If that's you, you have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. It's a one-time permanent filling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uh, teaches us and guides us and convicts us, but that is where the physical gathering of God's people is so unique. Every believer who walks into this church and into a designated place of worship, whether it's this room, whether it's the FLC, whether it's the, the high school in Kindred, it doesn't matter. They bring with them the indwelled Holy Spirit. You bring with you the Holy Spirit that you are indwelled with. You came into the room with the Holy Spirit and all of us collect who, who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that's how God's presence is manifested through the Holy Spirit in our presence. And that's why when you're here sometimes, you're like, man, I just really sense the power of God in this place. That's because you brought the Holy Spirit with you, every single one of you, and together collectively, we're praying, we're asking God, Holy Spirit, would you show yourself, would you be re revealed through me and in this place? The physical gathering of God's people opens the door for a corporate experience, presence of God and the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. I, I, I beg you to pray that when you walk into this room, when you walk into this church. I prayed every single Sunday morning before I get up here. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Let everything else get out of the way. Speak through me. And I ask you to pray the same thing. Holy Spirit, when I'm in this place, uh, would you help me to focus my mind, help me to focus my heart on, on what, we're, what we're singing and what, what we're being taught and, and, and just would you work in and through me and collectively, man, the power of God will be real here. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another as the day's approaching. Acts 2, 42 through 44 gives us another hint. It says that they gather for the teaching of God's word for fellowship, which means koinonia is the Greek, which modern day you might see say is one of the legs, the, one of the four legs of the church is just to get together and hang together, be together. The breaking of bread. They're saying, hey, church isn't a social gathering. It's not, it's not uh, man, you come in and watch, show everybody what you're wearing to church today. Or I hope people see me in church today. It was to celebrate what they had in common through Jesus Christ. It's prayer. And what happened? <laughs> Everyone was filled with awe. God did great things among them. They acted like a community. And what we're seeing here is a biblical example of the church being the church. God established the church to be his primary vehicle. He said, this is, this is my bride. And I'm gonna work through my bride to reach and redeem the lost world. The result, verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm gonna share something with you that's so cool. Um, I, I'm recognizing that the idea of connecting in a church is, is more and more difficult. Our, our students, our high school students, um, junior high and high school, but this is a, high, a group of high schoolers who meet on Sunday nights, it's called Sunday Night Live. Um, when we were at uh, the youth conference, Lori and I, I had the privilege of going with them. What they identified is we've got a real issue in our youth ministry, and that is that people aren't connecting. And my mind is just blown. I'm like, these are high school students, and they're recognizing this. And they said, what if we start a group called the Ambassadors 
So they did, a group of high school students got together and they, they've been meeting together and they've been uh, trained and equipped. So their goal now is this team is going to uh, show up to Sunday Night Live and they're gonna figure out how do we get students connecting with one another and we're gonna play an instrumental part in that. Th- these are high schoolers that did this all on their own. It's amazing, we have so much to learn from them. We have a number of ways for you to connect. We have all the programs in the world, but what good are they if people aren't connecting? Would you help us help you? Talk to a couple. I won't share their names because at this point, maybe many of you would know them. But they shared with me after the first service, they said, Pastor Andy, we came here for a year. An entire year we came in every single Sunday and sat in this room and not one person said hi to us. And then they said, you know what? We're gonna step out of our comfort zone. And they stepped out of their comfort zone and they started engaging people. And she was telling me now, we're connected all over the place in this church. And I said, thank you for sharing that. Because that'll resonate with a lot of people. Can I encourage you? We have small groups. Scan the little code out in the foyer. We have small groups for everybody. This week, friends, man, we have taken a lot of energy and a lot of resources, and we've put the spotlight on Wednesday nights, and Wednesday night is Wednesday Connect now, and it's Awana, it's, it's classes for, for men, it's classes for women, it's, it's a, a home-cooked meal, and we're hoping, literally, how many are we cooking for? 250 people, I think, for this week. Um, just to start, and we're gonna be prepared to keep bringing food in if we need to. So families are gonna show up, and we're gonna eat together, it's home-cooked meal, and then there's something for everybody on Wednesday night. We're gonna have greeters, we're gonna, it's just, we're trying to put an emphasis on the body connecting with one another. Let me leave you with this one thing. Maybe you've been in a bad rhythm, an unhealthy rhythm. Maybe you could be honest and just say, I haven't connected with God and I can't even tell you the last time. And I'm not making the effort to connect with others. Adopt a healthy rhythm of connecting with God and others. We were not created to isolate, which leads to loneliness, which leads to the spiraling effect. Father, thank you for your word and uh, thank you for this church We don't get it right all the time. In this area of connecting with one another, we drop the ball. We don't see each other. We make a lot of assumptions. God, could you help us just set all those things aside? God, I pray that if there are people here and this is their church and they said, yeah, I can resonate with that. We've been coming here for six months or a year and we don't know anybody. We're not connected. Lord, would you give them the strength and the power and the boldness to step out 
and be a connector. God, I pray that we would see fruit like crazy from your word, from our efforts. So that through the church, man, will we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit and will you be glorified. 